0: Hey everyone, welcome to City Church OTR's Sermons Podcast. Here you will find all of the sermons and teachings that are given at our Sunday services. We also have our original City Church OTR podcast, which has more conversations, interviews, and more interactive content. As always, we would love to meet you. Check out our Instagram to see what we're doing this week, and our website citychurchotr.com to meet one of our pastors. Enjoy many different voices from god's word this morning honestly i am grateful that we were able to sit in that and meditate on all the things that were shared uh, if we haven't met already my name is tyler and maybe you should know this about me i love a good open mic uh, i used to judge open mic poetry contests in kansas city missouri when i lived there And I began this year uh, singing karaoke, which is like the ultimate open mic. So um, honestly, that sharing of what God's teaching all of us and what we can find from his word uh, meant a whole lot to me, and I hope it meant a lot to you as well. Um, We've already opened our Bibles together this morning, um, and I'm encouraged with the passage that we're shared, and still, I'm excited to get to spend the next few minutes with you focusing on the book that we've been studying for the past few weeks, the book of Philippians. Um, it's an ancient, ancient text that's been passed down to us, um, and it's a letter that Paul wrote to first century Christians who were settled in this Mediterranean city. And we've titled our journey through this text Open-Handed, uh, because time and time again as we've explored Paul's letter to this church, we've heard his call to them, to the initial audience, and to us, those who are reading it now, to open our hands, um, to embrace unity, to embody unity, humility, uh, to persevere in the face of difficulty. And and this morning, we're going to find similar encouragement and challenge as we dive into the third chapter of the book of Philippians. But before we get going, uh, I just want to take you back for a minute to high school. Uh, I'd love to take you back to high school, to that precious Uh, and sometimes awkward and sometimes nerve-wracking stage of life where so many of us begin to come into our own, um, where we start to define ourselves, leaning into our own interests, uh, making some big decisions that shape the trajectories of our future. And so I'd love to ask, uh, what were you like in high school? Do you remember what were you like in high school? Uh, Perhaps that was just a few years ago. Or maybe it's been a few decades Uh, maybe for some of you it's coming up in just a little bit and you're either looking forward to it with excitement or you're fearing it with great dread but if it's in the rearview mirror for you what were you like in high school Uh, what can you remember about who you were then Um, I know for me I started high school with four goals um, small goals just four goals I wanted to be student body president valedictorian, homecoming king, and prom king. Uh, these are my goals, I wrote them down. I don't know if you guys are goal people, I said these are my four goals. And I am pleased to report this morning that I earned a valedictorian's GPA, uh, that I was student body president, ran unopposed, Right? that means everyone was afraid uh, of the, the, whatever, the legacy of the dynasty, but there is only one crown uh, in my closet. I got homecoming king, I did not get prom king, I lost it to Andrew Sorich, who is a sworn enemy to this day. Uh, and Actually, he's a very, very sweet guy. He was good then. Uh, he's good now. But when I look back at my high school days, I smile uh, because those were very driven days for me. They were filled with tenacity and focus, energy and effort. I had so much I wanted to do, and there was so much success on my mind. I was eager to achieve, and so I put my full effort into pulling it all off. And honestly, that kind of single-minded determination uh, that desire to get things done to pull things off with excellence and just a touch of pizzazz uh, it is still true of me to this day so i look back in my high school days and i smile and yet uh, i'm also able to recognize that so many of those high school accomplishments were performances uh, that they weren't just for me they were for others that they were ways to earn the attention and the admiration of those around me uh, they were my way of coping with this sinking suspicion that I wasn't quite enough. I believe that if people knew who I really was, if they knew the full me, the true me, just intimately and deeply, they would be disappointed by who they discovered, that they'd be a little underwhelmed and maybe even upset. And so I did my best to make myself worthy of approval and deserving of love. I won't ask anyone to raise hands, but can anyone here relate to that? Does anyone know what that's like? See, I believe that many of us, maybe at one time or another, have embraced this kind of posture, uh, maybe in a relationship, maybe in a family system or at our workplace, this kind of posture that says that we need to work our way into being affirmed or accepted by others that uh, all we can do let's muster up our best effort and give our very best so that we can receive favor and praise for our dedicated efforts Uh, we've thought that outstanding performance will bring us the recognition and the acceptance that we desire and this morning I want to go one step further and suggest that this dynamic Uh, It doesn't merely color our relationships with other people or other groups of people, but this can actually shape our interaction with God. You see, as a pastor, I have the privilege of speaking with people about their spiritual life, so I get to hear a lot of awesome processing of how people understand their relationship with God, and frequently, uh, because I hear a lot of these stories, I'll hear stories that go like this. They'll say, "Uh, Tyler, I, I started out in my relationship with God trying to offer God perfection perfection i wanted to give him my absolute best and so i lived according to this like strict strict code and i said well i'll be i'll be perfect for god and i knew that as long as i pre- behaved perfectly uh, that god would be pleased with me but then tyler like perfection proved a little hard so i settled for like performance you can't do perfection I'll at least like do my best to perform and I might not be perfect but I can at least be better than other people uh, so performance that's my new tagline and I know that'll make God happy I'm going to give him my genuine 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 effort I'm going to perform 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 and God will be pleased with me well but then Tyler like you know I did something I never thought I'd do I said something I never thought I said and so it wasn't perfection anymore performance but it's just like hey I can like Purchase some approval back. Maybe if I do something like really, really above and beyond. Maybe if I'm like super duper good or I volunteer really regularly or I'm like incredibly generous in one moment, I can purchase back some of that favor that I lost because the perfection couldn't happen. The performance failed. Now I'm going to kind of purchase God's attention and buy back his love and affection. So perfection, right? Performance, purchase. In my experience... This is how so many people try to relate to God alternating between those modes of interaction thinking that one way or another they're going to earn God's approval and God's attention and ensure that he notices them and is proud of them and yet this morning as we study Philippians 3 together I think we're gonna see that perfection and performance and purchase they never get us what we want they are counterfeit ways Of relating to God they don't bring intimacy and maturity in fact instead of us bringing instead of them bringing us closer to God they actually lead us farther away from his heart I think that's why Paul takes them on directly and unequivocally in the text that we are about to study and he points out another way a better way and it's a way that I need to be reminded of and perhaps you need to be reminded of as well And so if you have a Bible with you, either in print or digitally, would you join me in Philippians chapter 3, Philippians 3, and we'll begin in verse 2. There Paul writes, Watch out for those dogs. No, not those. Uh, Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Now these are like some big words. I'd love to explain what Paul means here. What's happened, if you remember our very first week in Philippians when Chris set us up, there's this church that Paul started in the city of Philippi. It was a church that gathered around this outstanding, incredible announcement of Jesus' love, God's love for all people. And so if you remember again that first week, Chris so boldly taught us that there was a wealthy woman, right, and there was a slave girl who'd been free, and there was a blue-collar worker, and they came together, gathered around the message of Jesus. So they're there in a new little church, and then what had happened was is that Paul leaves, and another group of people come in, and they start to say, hey, that message that Paul preached was great, but it's a little bit incomplete there's actually something extra that you need to do to like really belong to this community. I know we said that we all belong to this community, even though we're different, but there's something extra you have to do. It's, it's another step that you have to take, and specifically what they advocated is that the people in this group needed to keep the historic Jewish law. They needed to adhere to ancient Jewish practices, and more specifically, they argued that any men in the group who really wanted to follow Jesus Uh, needed to undergo the process of circumcision to demonstrate the sincerity of their devotion. Now, this made Paul and many of the men in the church furious. No, I'm joking. Uh, (laughs) That was a lame joke. But this is why Paul calls these guys uh, dogs and evildoers. He's really, really, really upset because Paul is convinced that when anything is added to the gospel, you lose everything. When anything gets added, you lose everything. When any rule is added to Jesus' teaching that Jesus didn't say, when any practice is required as a way of proving oneself as worthy of God's love or attention, when anything is added to the gospel, you lose everything. Um, Because the gospel, according to Paul, according to our scriptures, it's the glorious news and announcement at the heart of the Christian faith that says God has chosen to make human beings his beloved. It's not that humans found a way to choose God, It's that God chose us and then made intimate relationship possible by giving his own life on our behalf. And so whenever we prescribe prerequisites to God's love, uh, whenever we demand adherence to certain practices that Jesus never commanded in order to win God's favor, uh, we we ruin that message. And so these people who've come into the community, in, in Paul's mind, they're tainting this good news and Paul won't stand for it. He says that rather than proving their dedication to Jesus by this kind of extreme action that they're taking, what they're really doing, Paul says, is they're finding confidence in their own flesh, or rather in what they've done to their own flesh. And Paul is just outraged uh, by this fact that they've chosen to determine the authenticity of their faith by whether or not a person has undergone a particular surgery. And so that's led Paul to conclude that these people are no longer placing their confidence in the fact that God has just chosen to love them, but but rather in their flesh. And so Paul writes in verse 5, he says, if someone else, by which he means if these people advocating these rules, if someone else thinks that they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I, Paul, I have more. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, In regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Paul says, hey, if anyone is going to think that some resume of spiritual activity is going to earn them favor with God, I mean, it should be me. Paul says, "I like, if you're trying to say that your call to circumcision is somehow going to prove that you're more sincere or more like dedicated to Jesus than I am, uh, let's not get it twisted. Let me list out my resume. I, Paul, he says, I've lived impeccably according to the Jewish scriptures. I was circumcised as a baby on the eighth day as the Jewish law requires. I was born of the tribe of Benjamin, one of the two tribes that remained faithful to Yahweh in the midst of like war and people abandoning his law. It's like I was part of this faithful lineage, this faithful lineage. I was a Pharisee. I was a scholar of the Old Testament. I kept every rule that I knew perfectly. I even went so far as to persecute those who I saw as contradicting Old Testament law and instruction. Paul says, look, 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 I I did the perfection thing. I did the performance thing. I did the purchase thing. And yet, in verse 7, he says, but whatever were gains to me by doing all this work, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that i may gain christ and be found in him paul says you know i used to be all about perfection i used to be all about performance i used to think that i had to purchase god's approval and love but now all that effort and all that energy and all that endeavor it is worthless to me i just don't want it rather i want to know christ you know i want to know christ that's All that matters to me. And when I hear Paul's words here, it kind of reminds me of like that really clear thinking that usually comes in the midst of like a tragedy or you get some bad news that just puts stuff into perspective. You know, like you're super busy, you're going along life, you have like everything scheduled and there's 30 different commitments out there in the world. And then, you know, maybe a friend gets some really harsh news or a family member gets a real bad diagnosis, or you get a call that just leaves you like breathless, and you're like, where do I go now? And in that moment, right, when bad news comes generally, we're left with outstanding clarity about what matters most, at least for a minute. And all the stuff that feels like we can never say no to, and no, we've got to keep running, and this has to happen. It's just like, oh, no, no, I know immediately what I can drop because I can see with crystal clear focus that something that matters more is at hand, right? There's something big going on. And I think similarly, Paul has like this crystal clear moment here when he says, I was zealous about all these things and I was doing all those things and then something happens and now I know what really matters most. I just want to know Christ. I just want to know Christ. And to make his point crystal clear, Paul lays out what I want to call his personal mission statement it's him just sharing his heart's deepest desire he declares what he's learned about relating to god he gives a really clear statement about what he wants and where he's headed in this like little chunk of scripture it really really inspires me it was one of the first passages i memorized in college when we got real excited about following jesus together Um, So it inspires me, it challenges me, and it's my prayer that it will inspire and challenge you as well. So listen to it as I read. Paul says this in Philippians 3, verse 10. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Paul says, Look, I just want to know Christ. And rather than pursuing perfection or performance, Paul says, I found something better. I found a truer and more lovely way of relating to God. I just want to, I just want to know Christ. And well, what does that mean, Paul? Well, Paul says, it means that I want to know Christ's power. I want to know his power. I want to know the power of his resurrection, that power that makes dead things come alive, that power that gives ruined relationships a second chance, that power that gives like dark pasts a really bright future. He says, I want to know that power. I want to experience it personally. I want to know Christ's power. I know he has power. I know he uses it to restore and redeem and rebuild things. And I want to know it." Paul says. I want to know the power of his resurrection. And I want to participate in his sufferings. I want to be like him in every way, Paul says, and so I know that to be like Jesus means that every so often I'm going to have to to suffer. It means that some things will be difficult. It means my heart's going to break when people choose things that aren't best for them. It means that I'll be misunderstood and mischaracterized. It means that some might even take advantage of my goodwill and generosity. Paul says, I know that could happen, and yet still I want to know Christ. Even in his sufferings, I want to participate in them. I want to be like Christ in that way. I want to know his power. I want to participate in his sufferings. And and I want to walk on his path. I want to press on. I want to be on this journey for the long haul. I mean, learning to live like Jesus lived and to love how he loved. Doing what Jesus would do if he were me. Paul says perfection, performance, purchase. I'm over all that. And those are lifeless pursuits, but Christ's power, participation in his suffering, walking his path, that's energizing to me. That's captivating to me. That's who I want to be and where I want to go. You see, friends, I think the truth is that there is comfort and confidence uh, that comes from living a life of faith that's more characterized around perfection and performance. Simply put, there is comfort that comes from following rules. And following rules can give you confidence. I mean, imagine this. Let's go back to first century Philippi. Imagine that you're a person in the first century living you know, in this city of Philippi, and maybe you've grown, around, grown up around you know, the traditional Jewish law. And so you've heard these rules that are designed to facilitate communion with God. You've grown up in this kind of world. And now you hear about a group of people who claim to worship your God even though they haven't performed the same ceremonial surgery that everyone in your family has been experiencing for centuries, I mean, you would feel a little uncomfortable, wouldn't you? You'd feel like something was missing. I mean, even if you were somehow convinced that Jesus, like, was who he says he was, and that he really does, like, change the whole world through his death and resurrection, and that he is God who's come to earth to, like, die for us and to show us how to live, even if you were convinced of all that, you'd probably still think, yeah, but you might as well go ahead and get the surgery just to be safe. You know, just to be safe. It's the comfortable thing to do. Maybe. <laughs> That's why. It's the comfortable thing to do. Should have thought about that one, writing. Right? But it's, it's what we've always done. It's what we've always done. There's comfort and perfection and performance. And there's confidence there. There's confidence. Because when you adhere to a particular rule, particularly if that rule is a difficult rule, uh, you become confident in your self-control. In your persistence, in your tenacity, when you keep a rule, especially a rule that other people have a hard time keeping, uh, you start to believe, hey, I'm like, I'm doing really well. You know, I'm crushing it. I'm making this happen all by myself. There's, there's confidence that grows in keeping rules. But in Philippians 3, Paul invites us to place our confidence in something else. Or rather, he invites us to place our confidence in someone else. I mean paul says if you want confidence that your faith is sincere you should look to christ i mean do you know him do you know his power are you participating in his suffering are you walking his path i mean if you are paul says find your confidence there and if you're not paul says i mean the the invitation is wide open I mean, God's love, the announcement of God's love being for all people is still true, Paul says. These people are destroying that message. I, Paul, I've said all along that, like, God's done all the work, and his love is available, and he's invited you to live how he would live and to love how he would love. And so while this teaching from Paul might sound freeing on one hand, because it liberates us from unnecessary religious rules and from, like, these human-made checklists that we might make to prove that, like, oh, yeah, I've got confidence, i got comfort, I'm doing well. I'm making things happen. While it might be freeing on one hand, I can imagine that it also sounds overwhelming on the other. Because, like, how do you really know that you know Christ's power? And who can be sure they're, like, really, really, really participating in his sufferings? And, like, how do I know that I'm on the path? It feels like I am some days, but honestly not on some other days. You know, who's really got this all figured out? We get it Paul, you don't want us to be confident in like performance anymore, or you don't want us to try to aspire to like perfection all the time. You want us to like remember that ultimately first and foremost it's all about knowing Christ. And yet, how can we like know that we know that we know Christ? And I think Paul knew we might feel this way. In fact, I think he might have anticipated this concern, which is why he concludes this portion of the letter by saying this. In verse 13 and 14, he says, "Brothers and sisters, look, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heaven, Lord, and Christ Jesus. Paul says, hey, look, friends, I haven't figured it all out. I don't think i know christ's power perfectly i think there's more suffering i could experience i think there's ways i could walk the path more faithfully i haven't figured it all out but I, but i'm giving it my best i'm pressing on i'm i'm making progress i know a little bit more of jesus each day you see the thing is i don't think that paul is lax i don't think that he's like he doesn't really care he's laxadaisical. paul isn't lax but he is patient he knows that a key ingredient of spiritual growth is time He knows that God's work in him is going to take a lifetime to complete. I mean, he knows that there is so much beauty and mystery and glory and like truth, but fun, but reality, but challenge in Jesus. And he's like, it's going to take me a lifetime even just to scratch the surface. So he's not worried that he hasn't arrived there just yet. But rather, Paul's confidence in his faith comes from his commitment to like stay the course, to keep growing. To keep knowing just a little bit more of jesus every day he said not that i've already obtained this right and i haven't arrived at the goal but i'm pressing on each day i mean towards the goal to win the prize right to follow jesus to like live for this big calling that god's given me in christ he wants to become a little bit more like jesus each day uh, which just makes me want to ask friends to you like like what about you You know, is this how you think about your life of faith, if you think about your life of faith? I mean, how do you think about your relationship with God? Do you think about it never, sometimes? Are you relying on, like, perfection and performance to make you feel good about how you're doing there, to bring you comfort or confidence that you're sincere in your faith? Or is it possible that there's an invitation this morning from Paul, from Jesus, from Scripture, to allow a new source of confidence to spring up within you, like a a confidence that comes from knowing, hey, I'm committed to becoming a little bit more like Jesus each day. I mean, is your confidence rooted deeply in the fact that God loves you and has chosen you and that he's going to keep calling you to deeper and deeper and fuller experiences of him? Or is it rooted somewhere else? I mean, what happened to Paul was that the epicenter of his spiritual life shifted from performance and perfection to knowing Christ's power participating in his sufferings and walking his path mean, where's the epicenter of your faith you know we started our time this morning by thinking about ourselves in high school and so honestly I want you to consider that again I mean think about yourself in high school and from however long it's been whether it's been recently Uh, whether it's been a little bit longer i mean however long it's been like how have you changed since you were 15 or 16. how have you changed you know how much have you learned how much have you grown if you've had faith with you that whole time how much has god taught you since those years okay look back and think about that and now think forward I mean, think about how much more is there for God to teach you. How much more is there for you to learn? I mean, think of all the beautiful dimensions and characteristics and attributes of Christ that lay ready for you to discover. You see, as we prepare to leave this place this morning, I want us to pray that we would have open-handed embrace of those lessons that are still to come. That we would take Philippians 3 to heart and that we'd recognize that, hey, it's never been our performance or our perfection that has earned God's love for us, but rather because of his love, the entire beauty and benefit of Jesus is available for us. And it's not something I'm going to accomplish immediately or receive immediately, but it's something that over a lifetime is going to reshape me. And it's a path that I'll walk that I will never regret. I mean, friends, if we want Philippians 3 to change us before we leave here this morning, we have to make this personal. We have to make Paul's transition away from performance and perfection and towards walking Jesus' path. We have to make that transition our own. We have to make it personal. So I just wanna ask you here, what does it look like for you to make this passage of scripture personal? And what could this look like for you And is there kind of like a rule-keeping and performance attitude that you need to lay down? You're like, honestly, Tyler, you're right. There are some things in life that are giving me so much comfort and confidence, but like, it's a hollow pursuit. It's a shallow endeavor. Are there rules that you need to lay down? Do you need to get on Jesus's path? Perhaps you need to experience more of his power or you need to open yourself up to enduring more suffering on his account. Are there lessons you need to learn from Jesus? Lessons in patience, lessons in love, lessons in humility or truth-telling or selflessness or joy. I mean, I'm trusting, we're trusting as a church that even now the Holy Spirit could bring something to mind as we're sitting in this room, that God could give you a very clear next step to take this week for how you can leave performance and perfection behind and instead embrace This invitation to walk the path with Jesus for the long haul over a lifetime. If that's something you wanna talk about or process with something, I know Chris or I or other folks from our teams would be glad to talk about that in the lobby with you or throughout this week over coffee. But as we get ready to wrap up, friends, I want you to know this. Did you know that when the wife of Billy Graham, the great evangelist Ruth Graham died in 2007, She chose to have her tombstone engraved with words that had nothing to do with perfection and nothing to do with her achievements. They didn't like reek of performance. She wasn't talking about purchasing divine approval. Instead, Ruth Graham selected words for her tombstone that had everything to do with the fact that as long as we're alive, God is at work in us and on us and through us and beside us. See, here's what the story, uh, this is what they say. They say, Ruth Graham, she was driving one day along a highway through a construction site. And there were miles and miles and miles of detours and cautionary signs and machinery. And when she finally came to the edge of this like particularly awful stretch of road that they were fixing up, she saw a sign at last that said, end of construction, thank you for your patience. And if you would go to Carolina, I think North Carolina where Ruth Graham is buried, you would find on her tombstone, end of construction, thank you for your patience. And I think when we follow Paul's example, when we embrace Christ's invitation, this is exactly what happens to us. We recognize that perfection and performance, uh, those are foolish pursuits. We discover that knowing Christ in every dimension is life, is joy, is peace, is fulfillment, is sustaining. I mean, it's a lifelong journey that one day will come to a glorious end. And so friend, this morning our invitation is simple. Let's press on towards that goal together. I mean, let's take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of us, right? And as we begin that journey, um, would you join me even now, just as a prayer for God's help In that process, Lord, we uh, we thank you for the ways that you have freed us from the pressure that can come with trying to perform for your love. We thank you that that doesn't need to be how we relate to you. That you're not looking for us to achieve some kind of like thing resume to uh, to prove our worth for you, but rather that you love us uh, just as you are. That your cross shows that and demonstrates us. So thank you for that reminder. Yet at the same time Lord we see how beautiful it is just to know you to know your power even to know your suffering God and then of course to know the way that you live to walk your path to live how you would live if you were us and so it's daunting what we think about it all together Lord but we know it's a journey you've designed to take a lifetime and so would it be one that you lead us on step by step could you help us this week to know what the next step is for us we have the courage to take that step and then to take the step after that and the step after that. And Lord, may it be a delight to be on this journey of knowing you. We bring these things to you. We ask it in your son's powerful name. Amen.